Hello, everyone. This is Chris O'Regan. I'm here with Ryan. Hello. Hello. Um, introduce myself first. So a little bit of a special thing that we were going to record at PAX West, but for event reasons and events outside our control, couldn't. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But I'm Chris O'Regan. If you don't know, I actually host and produce the Sausage Factory podcast and also do the weekly stream of Kenyan Streams. I'm Ryan Heyman. I host everything else on the network. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a, I host Sound of Play every other week. I hop on Kate and Rinse whenever I get the opportunity and I host Playwright every week. So, um yeah, I think between the two of us that pretty much rounds it out. <laughs> yeah, we do a lot. Although I don't do much of Kate and Rinse, I have to say, uh which is I've only done one. Well, I thought we'd have this conversation. We're going to have it like I said at PAX. I booked a room and everything. I know, I feel terrible. You know, I uh I, I got sick on Saturday evening. And so I was able to attend, well, I had tickets for Friday, Sunday, Monday. Right. I was able to attend all of Friday, half of Sunday, and none of Monday. No. And so really like that's that's a lot of time and money down the drain for me. But uh also like I just uh I was really looking forward to recording something in person and you know getting the thoughts out where they're still fresh, but alas, I would have sounded pretty bad on that recording anyways. So Maybe just as well we did it later. My first PAX is 2008. That was when it was called PAX Prime, or just PAX, I think. Back then, that was just the only PAX. There was only one. There's now five, but there was only one back then. Been going ever since, which is kind of scary and weird. So PAX is very convenient for me because I lived in the Seattle area for many, many years now. I uh, actually just moved out of Seattle proper, which I had lived in for six years, the weekend before PAX, but now I'm, I'm just in the next city over, so, so it's still pretty convenient. I don't remember how long I've been attending. I was trying to look it up, and I know that I have been going at least since 2011. I don't know about before that because I can't find like specific details, but um, I know that I've at least been going for the last eight years, and uh, yeah, it's... It's a it's a nice show. Um, I feel like over time it's kind of gotten a little bit less interesting to me uh, because I feel like it's become maybe I'm just more aware of it now. Maybe it's always been this way, but it feels like a lot more kind of like marketing focused. I, you know, I, I feel like at PAX, unless you're in the indie area, which is great, you don't always necessarily get to talk to somebody who knows anything about the games, which is a little unfortunate. You know, I, I liked having devs right there to ask questions to and to talk about, you know, this and that about the development process and stuff. But, you know, indies still kind of like hold that hold that down. But um, yeah, a lot of the time it feels very much just like people are cycling you through an experience and people are going just to kind of have fun instead of learn things, which is fine. But it's just, it, it's less interesting to me now than it was back in the old days. <laughs> I never line up, not because I cut cues, no. It's because I choose not to line up at all. Because you don't have to, because you can go to play many, many other games without having to, to line up for too long. And I don't, you know, have people hoiked off stations because I'm press. I never, never allow that. I said, no, 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 no. It's, it's not fair because people are, you know, here is... And, uh, you know, they, they don't need me doing that. So it's unless they have a separate sort of secluded area which uniquely just for press, then I'll use it. But otherwise, I do not. I, I do hear what you're saying. But uh, PAX has changed uh, for good and for ill. And uh, I just want to delve into what PAX West 2019 was like. 
What was your thoughts on how PAX West? You know, it feels a little bit bigger every year, and this year it definitely, um, you know, things move slowly. There's just a lot of people, uh, which is which is fine. Uh, it's kind of fun. That's one of my favorite things, is just being a part of that atmosphere of people being excited and people just kind of being around the things that they love. But uh, yeah, I think this year the the biggest change, and this is not really probably interesting for the listeners, but the biggest change was just uh, increased security presence. You know, everyone has to go through the metal detectors and other bag search on the way in and everything just because of uh, the increased violence in America. So just wanted to kind of like head that off. But that did kind of like it changed the atmosphere a little bit. But, um, you know, overall, like once you actually get into the show, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it's just it's a it's a fun place to just kind of like thrive off the energy around you. Yes, it is pretty positive. And I think the the gatekeeping and the, the actual like bag searching was somewhat off-putting. Better than the alternative, I'd say. So yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. I think one of the most unique things I've found in previous years, I think I remember there were some games over the years that had banners and the biggest booth, biggest, loudest booth you'd, you'd possibly think of. I mean, it's probably spent a lot of money. But I found over the years, the games that shouted the loudest at packs, usually the ones that imploded the fastest. Mm. Um, I remember one year, Evolve. Remember that? Yep, yeah. Yep. I, I mean, I don't want to crow about failures. That's disgusting. But I can't help but notice it, that it seems to be you know, inversely proportionate. And there's a game called Wildstar. That's gone. That was everywhere at PAX. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's another game called uh, Drop Zone. It, it's, they, mm-hmm. they really pushed the boat out on that. They had lanyards and everything, but nope, dead. Uh, and it's sad. I just noticed that. It's like a, almost a, you know, a kiss of death. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you hurl your, your banners and your advertising at PAX, you're likely to fall over. However, this year is uh, Borderlands 3, so probably no danger there. So what Ryder and I have decided to do is just look at all the games, not all of them, but most notable games that we encountered and played while we're at PAX, because ultimately, that's probably why you're listening. So I'm going to kick off with that. First, was one of the last games I played, is Creature in the Well. Yep, that one is uh, currently available. I was just playing some on uh, Xbox One last night. I could not believe I approached the developers because it's basically a pinball action-adventure game. That's a very, very overly simplistic description of the game, but that's essentially what it is. Um, and uh, beautifully rendered, animated, contrasting colours. Just does all the things, I think, pretty much right. It's a bit weird as well. The presentation and, and the story's a bit odd, and there's not a lot of information. You know, the, the, the game doesn't teach you what to do. You just, just figure it out. I don't know, just hit things. And uh, what did you make of it? Uh, this is a title I have a long history with because I did marketing for it at both Nintendo and Microsoft um, because they were included in one of our like Nindy showcases uh, when I was at Nintendo and then obviously launching onto Game Pass at Microsoft. Um, and uh, it's it, it's cool. It's weird. I don't have a strong like pinball history, so I can't really compare like how deep of a pinballish type of game it is. But um, it's a super strange and interesting idea hack and slash with uh it's all about kind of collecting these orbs of energy throughout the um the dungeon and then uh kind of slashing them towards i guess like pinball bumpers mm-hmm. to uh to accrue energy yeah of anything the game does a really good job of making you the player feel like you're getting away with something that the game didn't intend which is like a total pinball thing to watch the the numbers rack up high as the uh, ball gets stuck kind of bouncing between two bumpers and you're just like, oh man, I feel like I've been given so many points that I can basically coast off of that for 
the next hour like i i got away with something here obviously that was the intended experience yeah. but it always feels like i broke the game yeah <laughs> yeah um i must confess we have actually recorded an interview with the developers uh, for the sausage factory so look out for that very soon um or maybe we've already heard it by the time you listen to this that's probably quite true um but at the time of recording this at the moment you probably haven't heard it but yeah definitely a game that has requires precision movement and interesting you have a history of it because uh i had no idea about never no offense to your good selves or your colleagues they hadn't, hadn't heard <laughs> of it until i bumped into it and uh the fact that it was come out a week after pax is very unusual because most of the games i encountered were a year out at least Good stuff. I really enjoyed it. Highly recommend it. Like I said, it's out on Game Pass if you got it. So I have it on my PC and Xbox. So Sail Forth, small little indie game that I encountered at the indie mini booth at the indie mega booth. So there's like this mini booth, which is a collection of smaller games in the indie mega booth. It's a it's a thing that they change over over the first. So first two days you have one set of games. Second two days of packs you have another set of games. Which is it's basically like a a. T- Scaled down version of Sea of Thieves, only you just have rather than you do have a ship and you do island hop, but it's not nearly as as expensive. And actually, things matter because your ship actually is something you need to keep intact, unlike Sea of Thieves, where nothing matters. I actually finished the demo; it was great. If the developers going, I'll just I let you carry on. Yeah, I just got completely sucked in and actually completed the demo right in front of him. He goes, "Thanks for demo showing it," because I just basically showed everything off. I've repaired the ship, had a fight, did went to an island, dropped off some car, did all the things. And I was like, hey, there you go. Well done. Thanks for making an awesome demo that showed everything off. Then there's Plunge. Um, Plunge is a, a odd little game um, that you actually have a character that can only move in one direction, not one direction, but a direction immediately to, to the extremes of the edge of the screen they, or the edge of the map. They they don't move incrementally. It's, it's so it's a bit like a, it's basically a puzzle game. And as you do so, and if you go through an enemy, you actually cause damage and that kind of thing. It's an ingenious little game. The artwork is exceptional. I'm really really impressed by it. Did you encounter this, Ryan? There was this one and another game called Cat Lady, mm-hmm. which both reminded me of the kind of isometric ZX Spectrum type of games with the. Uh, kind of a CGA graphics feeling to them, which uh, I really appreciate. I hope it kind of like, I hope that becomes kind of like a retro trend. Yeah, I I, I think it definitely feels like that. And it did, it did have, you know, echoes of Alienate and stuff for me or Nightlaw um, coming out when I was playing it, but not nearly as difficult or as complicated. <laughs> um, mm. Because Nightlaw is notoriously difficult and complicated and I've only finished it once. Yeah, it's. I really enjoyed it, and I did have a good old chat with the developers, and they, they seem to be really enthused about appearing on the show. So hopefully, I'll get them on. But uh, yeah, I think it's out on iPad as well. So it's, I think it works very well for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hades, the next game from Supergiant Games, roguelike, classic roguelike, in which you you play a character who's a son of a Greek god, Hades himself, no less, um, and uh, he uh, decides to want to leave because he doesn't want to be there anymore. Exquisite game, really good roguelike. Not everyone likes them, I know, but I always point to Dead Cells and go, "We like that, don't you?" So, fine. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if you do roguelites well, then they really are. They can shine, uh, but uh, there's just so many of them now. Uh, it's difficult to know. What is the moment-to-moment gameplay in this one? It's definitely a hack and slash, totally. Mm. Isometric hack and slash. So it does have that, uh, but the timing and the sense of power and your abilities are 
quite impressive. Just really well animated and executed, and the writing is exceptional. All the presentation is there. There is a lot of diff- it, there's not the narration isn't there though, like they had in the previous games of uh, of uh, Transistor and um, <laughs> Bastion. Bastion, there you go. Um, that's not there. But then again, it wasn't there with um, with Pyre either. So um, they certainly moved on from that. But there's a lot of there's very witty commentary and the interaction with the the Greek gods who are all capricious, of course. That's, they're very well known for being that way. You do have to combat creatures in a room, take them all out. Once you've taken them all out, the room then unlocks and then depending on where you go, depending on what reward you receive, assuming you get through that section safely and don't die. The character is immortal, so he can't actually die. So what happens when he gets killed, he reawakens in, in Hades and it's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> it's really quite funny. It's just present. It's just very um, self self-aware. It's uh, they had a really lovely booth right next to Behemoth. We've got a lovely selection of games now. That whole section yeah. just kind of stays the same every year. It's uh, Super Giant over in the front corner, and then uh, Behemoth's arcade behind them, where they're always showing Pit People and Alien Hominid and uh, Castle Crashers. And yeah. then in the very back corner, there's always a little table of Spy Party, and it's been there for at least as long as I've been going. It's always the same. So you know, it's across the Sky Bridge. There it is. All right, okay. You know, and they actually the first day at Behemoth, they obviously give out um, free breakfast to press. Thanks for that, everyone. That's great. <laughs> really appreciate that. We've already had breakfast, but thanks for getting us. A little bribery never hurts. No, it doesn't. So you go there, and <laughs> but they have got some new stuff going on, and uh, they're extraordinary uh, development. And they just make some very, very good games. They genuinely are. Mm. The next one I found at the back of the indie booth, uh, Round Guard. This one's a weird one. It's basically Peggle, which we all love, know and love. Maybe, maybe we don't. I don't know. But Peggle mixed with an RPG. <laughs> It sounds horrific, but it actually quite works. It's kind of interesting, actually. Yeah. You actually, rather than just letting the ball just go, you can anti- interact with the ball because the ball isn't a ball. It's actually a little character, and the character can sort of cast spells or swing an axe. and So you mm. just time your you time the firing, and then you time another interaction to make sure you actually carry out sort of combat. and It's just fun. Really well done. And the developer going, I can't believe no one thought of this before. And I, th- I said, no, I think I can. Because <laughs> the because it doesn't really it doesn't really flow the art concept, but when you play it, like, it really does work. There was a, a game a while back called Whizball, I think it was, that was kind of like breakout with RPG elements. So right. I, I like when this type of mashup happens. So yeah, I'm into this idea. I'll have to check it out. It uh, I really enjoyed it, and it's not out until early next year. So uh, I gave them a card, and hopefully, hopefully, we can. Uh, we can get them on the show, on the Sausage Factory. But no, uh, that was a bit of a highlight for me. Uh, Ultra Bugs, a uh, new Vlamber game. Vlambia. So we all know them from Nuclear Throne and uh, the and Is it Extreme Fishing? Come on, what's it called now? Uh, ridiculous, ridiculous Fishing. Ridiculous Fishing. That's way better. Those games, yes. Got a new one, Ultra Bugs. Weird as hell. Very difficult. <laughs> um, you start shooting bugs, and as you shoot them, more of them appear. Then you have to shoot more of those created chain reactions, but as they explode, more of them appear. <laughs> it's like, oh, what is this? You're meant to go away. Like, no, no, no. The more we shoot us, the more we <laughs> we reappear. And it's in this condensed sort of grid, and and you have different ships to do the same. They have different sort of combat abilities, and and it's just like what? Really good. Really enjoyed it. Um, well done. They've done it again. 
looking forward to that one. That was well attended. People would sit there, but only play it for five minutes and go, what? What? This is so brutal. Because <laughs> the average playtime was two to three minutes, if that, because it was very, very difficult because your the screen would become so, uh, eventually you just get absorbed unless you were very clever about how you actually fired the guns and made, it's very, very, yeah, weird stuff. Check out videos, try to figure it out. But I had little time with it, but enough to to want to play more. This is going to be the debut title on Vlambeer Arcade, which is, I think, how they're going to start distributing their games going forward. I, I, I don't know exactly all the details on this one, um, but I know that we did some early marketing for it when I was still at Nintendo as a part of our uh, Nindy stuff. Seems like more of a subscription or like a one-time purchase thing that gives you a kind of a blind bag of uh, games going forward, all developed by the Vlambeer and with more of a kind of classic arcade feel to them. So uh, it's, it's a really interesting model. Kind of reminds me of what uh, Panic is doing with the Playdate. So um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm kind of into that idea. And it gives them some freedom to experiment with smaller things and uh, to do things that were... Uh, that are maybe not commercially viable in and of themselves, but as a package um, can uh, provide that value. Deleveled up on level six, right at the back. Discovered it by accident again. Really lovely, simple puzzle game involving momentum and gravity while you control two little orange blocks at the same time. They, the gravity line was actually in the middle of the screen. So each level is split into two and the split is right in the middle and as you move your little orange left or right, it would then drop at the same rate, uh, thanks to the use of gravity. Well, the game gravity anyway. And uh, the, the gravity is the only constant. Everything else can do all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And you'd actually have to complete each level from going left to right as you move these, these, these things across. And uh, ingenious, mind-bogglingly mental, sort of like, hang on, oh, I know what to do. Uh, and, and my only quibble with it and the developer knew this when they, was, when they made the demo they didn't realise at the time because it happens a lot the developers get too close to their game not realising that actually made something that you can't. it's difficult to do there was a particular sort of thing I knew what I had to do but my hand to eye coordination isn't what it was so I couldn't actually get the jump, do the jump you know you know when you have that situation like I know what to do but this is really tricky yeah. um, and that happens a lot with puzzle platformers I've found um, and uh, I managed to do it. I managed to get through and finish the demo. And the developer was deeply apologetic. He says, oh, no, that, that, that jump. That jump was terrible. I'm so sorry. We'll have to fix that. We're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. And this is fine. But, yeah. Um, did you see this? Or what do you make of games like this? I noticed it. I didn't get to actually uh, sit down and play it. But uh, this one was included in the PAX 10, um, which is kind of the awards that are given to, like, the 10 favorite games, uh, usually indie games, that uh, PAX houses in a uh, separate kind of table upstairs. Yeah, no, I, I didn't play this one. I can't really speak to it with any authority, but it seems like um, one of those kind of clever games where you're con controlling uh, kind of two things at once, or there's a, you kind of just split your focus between separate separate avatars that are kind of working uh, in, in tandem. Yeah, that's basically it. You have to go over switches and stuff like that. It's mm -hmm. uh, Lumote 
lateral thinking puzzle action adventure game where you jump over platforms, you charge yourself, you you are this little sort of organic creature flopping around. And I really, really liked it. It's beautiful. Made in Unreal, I think. Yes, it was, because it was popping out the screen, glowing everywhere, which is what Unreal Engine tends to be good at. Be that as it may, it's fine. Uh, I really quite excited for this one, actually. Um, it really is a brain teaser, not teaser, but sort of, um, yeah, I like that kind of game where you're just changing colours, moving platforms, interacting with things. This was on the in the, the uh, mini booth again. I did like that area because there was some really wonderful stuff there. So I'm just going to finish off quickly with sort of rattle off the last three now, I think, maybe. There's Lonely Mountain Downhill, awesome downhill bicycle game. If you're not aware of it, go check it out, videos and stuff. One of the best games, one of the best games I've played in a long time. And uh, it just uses gravity again. But it uses momentum for the bike, and it's very, very tricky. Very easy to crash. Very, very easy to crash. Uh, but it just, you know, you have to be very gentle with the, your controls, and it rewards the player. Yeah, this one's great. It's a isometric third person, and so you know, it's not like um, Descenders, I believe it is. That's the recent first-person mountain biking game. It's yeah. a lot more kind of like a simulation. This one's very arcadey, uh, but you're kind of like winding down these mountain paths, and you can. Take it as fast or slow as you want. You can choose to go for risky shortcuts. And uh, I think that's what that's what's fun about it. You know, I'd love to see this um, in uh, speed run races. I'd love to uh, see it kind of played competitively against people and, and see if there's a leaderboard implementation. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Later this year, which I'm happy to say. Black Skylands, very quickly, action, top-down action adventure where you're fitting between islands and stuff. That's quite fun, quite violent, though. Um, but other than that, uh, I did find the combat, uh, the, the, the sort of range combat, really quite satisfying. They did a good job of the feel of weapons fire was good, and uh, I actually found the whole setup and story quite intriguing. You have your own little jetpack to flip between each island. So yeah, that was quite nicely done in tiny builds, a vast booth, and then Concrete Genie, which is over at PlayStation, the exclusive PlayStation Four game, uh, non-violent arcade adventure. Involving you playing a small child, but sort of like early early teens looks like maybe, and you're painting murals on walls, and uh, as you do so, you create these little genies, and these genies are friendly, um, and they sort of like ask you to put, make make the city a much brighter and beautiful place that's set in, because this is very dark and grim. Um, any thoughts on those two titles? I played Concrete Genie over at PlayStation's booth. I think that was the only thing that I played at their booth. And um, I was, uh, I don't know, kind of mixed feelings about it. Mm. Um, I, I love the way that it looks. It's a beautiful game. It re- reminds me a lot of Leica's films, like uh, Paranorman, especially. Um, and it kind of has that uh, that nice kind of urban color scheme of infamous Second Son. And so, you know, it, it has a really strong aesthetic to it. Uh, I feel like its frame rate could stand to be a bit better. Uh, it feels a little unfinished right now just because of like it just doesn't really have that like game feel quite nailed down just yet um but it it looks lovely i think the the painting mechanic is kind of interesting there's there's a lot of like there's a lot of mechanics that i don't feel like it does a great job of explaining like you need super paint to clear certain hazards off of walls and you get super paint by standing close to your genies, but sometimes yeah. they recharge very quickly, and sometimes it takes ages for your super paint to recharge. And I don't know what to do to make it recharge 
faster. I'm sure that there's something, but it's just a lot of things like that where like I would have to spend like two minutes just basically standing in one place waiting for my paintbrush to recharge. And I just, eh, I don't know. Yeah. It's okay. And I hope that it has some sort of a, like a really interesting seed of an idea when it actually comes out. Indeed. Indeed. Let's let's just see how it... Uh, I liked it, the concept, but I think some of the execution was somewhat clunky, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we'll just see. Well, that's enough for me. Ryan, please, tell us what did you see? Right, so I'm just going to rattle through most of these because I didn't get a chance to play as many as I did just kind of observe them, but I hope that it at least kind of draws attention to some cool things and if people are interested they can uh, look them up um, on their own time sorry to give you all homework um, but I'm just going to give a brief description of a lot of these and kind of take from there in no particular order of interest or even the order of having seen them just kind of listed everything down at uh, the Seattle Indies Expo which I've been a judge for to um, to kind of decide who is and is not showing for the past probably like four or five years, um, I, I noticed a game called Tinted, which seems kind of neat. It's a it's a little simple momentum-based puzzler. Uh, you you kind of control a little dot on screen. Uh, it's, it's a really nice kind of color scheme of uh, whites and pinks, um, but your little dot on screen you control by drawing a line out from it, and then it kind of follows that trajectory. A lot of... Um, uh, you, you've seen that kind of thing before with... Uh, uh, some like rope momentum based uh, physics puzzlers. Um, but what I like is that you can control it when it's within white space, but when it's outside of white space in uh, in the pink space, it can continue on, but you can't make any further adjustments at that point. So, you know, there's uh, within the white space, it's pretty easy to move it around. But once it gets out of there, then uh, things become a little bit more hazardous and unpredictable. So you really have to think ahead and um, plan out your trajectory and it's a lot of you know trial and error but that's um, it's a a pleasant little game it's available on itch.io now it is and it's fantastic I also played it had a chat with the developer as well lovely man named David and uh, yeah uh, Temporary Games made it I'm not sure if you said that but uh, yeah great name for a developer by the way (laughs) Temporary it's temporary Um, (laughs) so but yeah I and yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Big thumbs up. And again, like mine's Ryan, it's such a shame that we didn't meet face to face. But yeah, good, good, good mm-hmm. shout. Carry on. Next one. Next one is uh, Seed, which is one of the ones in my judging queue beforehand. And so I got to sit down and spend a little bit more time with it. It's not a game that I am. Like, I'm not really enthused about the genre, but I just I was impressed by the uh, the ambition they put into it. It's kind of like a tower defense game, but instead of fighting off invaders, you are providing energy to little monsters that are making a kind of a journey along a uh, along a pathway. And there's uh, different kind of totems that you can put in different spots to either speed up or slow down or recharge the energy of your um, little monsters. And um, yeah, it's just a lemmings ish type of game. Um it's it's very lovely to look at the uh, monster designs are all all very nice um I, again i'm not like a big tower defense person so i don't 
really see myself picking it up when it comes out, but it's a, it's a, it's a pleasant little game. Yeah, I did see this game previously at PAX East, I think it was, and it was somewhat embryonic in its uh, development, so hopefully it might have advanced a little bit. But what I played of it needed some work. But I do like the concept and the idea of behind it, but it needed some work. All right, so the next game is one that's been kind of on my radar for many years now. It was a part of six, I believe, for the past two years. And uh, this year it was a part of the Indie Mega Booth with quite significant updates um, ever since then. Uh, I, I played early builds over the past couple of years, including some kind of like dev rooms and unfinished ideas and stuff like that. And so it's it's always cool to kind of check back on those games and see how far they've come. But this one's called Super Liminal. It's a uh, really great idea for a game. It had a different name previously uh, that was uh, much longer and hard to remember. So I, I do appreciate that they uh, they kind of whittled it down to something a bit easier to, to remember. But it is a perspective-based first-person puzzler in which there are objects in the room around you. As soon as you interact with it, it kind of locks it in space with your perspective. And then as you move it around, kind of like um, if you kind of reach out your fingers in front of your face and, and grab at a, an airplane in the background, it looks like a small airplane and it looks like you have giant fingers. It's kind of the same idea where if you pick something up off the table and then move it in front of a, uh, a space in the background, is farther away then the object will actually grow because it's um kind of maintaining some of that perspective phase it's really hard to describe but it's very easy to understand when you actually look at it so you know it's it's a, a clever first person puzzler i uh, i definitely recommend it i enjoyed playing it for the past two or three years awesome game friend of mine matt pascal you might some of you might know it's a close relationship with giant bomb and stuff he grabbed me because I've got, I've got friends, believe it or not. I know, Ryan, it's shocking. He said, oh, Chris, Chris, um, go play that game. What, just go? And he dragged me across to the booth. And I must <laughs> confess, I hadn't played it before. I never heard of it before. Uh, and uh, sat down and, uh, yeah, it just does all, it's like, it, you see, you summarise it saying perspective shifting puzzler. That's a little bit of a misnomer because it starts off doing that you know you see an object and you sort of make it grow and then as it grows you can then reach places you couldn't before because one minute it's this tiny little thing next minute it's the size of belgium and it's fine but then it gets you start doing that and you think oh i've got this and then you go hey, no you haven't no you haven't you've got a clue and it starts messing with your head and the whole thing mm. is very sort of portal like in its presentation and there's the yeah, humor absolutely. very very dry and it's definitely you're definitely a subject of an experiment going horribly wrong it's lovely, you know, and I did enjoy it immensely. Um, so the next game, I'm kind of just throwing it out there, hoping that you have more experience with this one than I do. Otherwise, it'll just be a very brief mention. But there was a, a game that caught my eye that I didn't get to, to play because there was somebody that was kind of having a rough time with it at the screen. And it's one of those where it's just like, well, I could stand here for 20 minutes while they try to figure out the basics or I could come back later, not knowing that I would get sick later. <laughs> so um, one that I intended to come back to, but did not called Hitchhiker, which is a narrative mystery game played from the perspective of a hitchhiker, um, which I feel like there have been two or three like pretty pretty interesting, pretty cool games that involve picking up hitchhikers. Um, but uh, this is the first one I've seen where you actually are the hitchhiker getting in other people's cars and meeting characters in that way. So uh, 
yeah, again, like I, I don't have a ton of context, but it definitely caught my eye. It has a really nice art style and uh, and a cool core idea. So um, did, did you get any time with this one? Sadly not, no. Don't know where it was. All right. <laughs> well, we'll just have to give that one a shout. People look it up on your own. It's uh, It seems interesting. Sorry, I can't bring more insight to it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, everyone. Let you down. Yeah, so this next game, I think it was that tiny build as well. It's called Not For Broadcast which you uh you manage a live tv broadcast from a like a tv workstation there's multiple kind of like knobs and and levers and um and sliders and there's you get to see the live feed versus the slightly delayed feed that's going out to the tv and you can uh, hit a button to censor things and you know it's again it's one that i kind of just caught in passing rather than actually getting to sit down and fully experience but um it reminded me of uh, i had a a really good experience recently uh, with a game. I think it was called Dead Air, uh, which is a um, indie game that was produced for a um, uh, for a uh, game jam, which caught my attention because it was uh, pretty similar to a game that I had uh, pitched on Playwright, in which you host a radio station in a kind of creepy part of town where uh, strange and kind of supernatural-ish things are happening. And so I was already kind of queued up for this type of experience. And uh, this one caught my eye. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to learn more about it. Did you uh, actually get to spend time with it? I have a demo of it on my machine right now because oh, cool. I, was at a, I was at a press event uh, on the Thursday evening before PAX started. And uh, I had massive jet lag, but I managed to stay awake just long enough to witness the demo. And they gave us bunch of like keys and stuff for to so i didn't actually have to go on the show floor to play it i didn't come to my own hotel room it's bonkers absolutely bonkers it uh i played similar games that like mess with uh, you know messing with media and presentation but this one this was an exceptional the the topic of media and how it manipulates people's thoughts is very 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 topical of course uh, has been mm-hmm. for the last five years now. And uh, for a video game to step up and go, you know what, let's talk about this. Let's really talk about this. And let's see what, what what's really going on and see if we can actually... It's all fictional, all the char- all the players. And it's also, just to be clear, everyone, this is like FMV. Like I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but it really right. is all real actors taking on roles of people doing things and saying things. And it's all filmed and videoed in that way, which... Some people find off-putting because it's a little bit too close to reality. Uh, but there's been some games recently that come out that basically revel in real-life actors actually interacting with them. And, um, you know, the recent uh, Bandersnatch thing from Black Mirror may have helped this push this along mm-hmm. um, because, you know, historically it hasn't gone well. <laughs> Interactive films haven't really... Eh. But there, there's definitely a, an appetite for it now when you do it well. And so from what I've played and experienced, it's definitely it's done better than what I've experienced before. So, yeah, yeah one to watch, one to watch. Uh, the next kind of similar in a way, not really. It's called Klaxo. It's like a choose your own adventure, but it's all taking place on a radio. It is available on uh, mobile devices. I think it might be coming to Switch, uh, but they had a setup at the show that was actually playing through what looked like kind of an old-timey radio with a with a dial. It was very nice. They did a, a great presentation. It was a bit unfortunate because it was an audio adventure, but I, I really had a hard time hearing anything coming out of that little speaker um, on the, the busy show floor. This was in the, uh, the mini booth. It seemed kind of like a 
first version of a game that would be much better in its sequel iteration. It's it's very denoted like switch to channel four if you would like to continue this, you know, it really kind of like delineated that. Whereas, you know, I I think that they could keep experimenting and do something that felt a little bit more um a little bit more fluid and a little bit more kind of freeform, but you know, for a for a small team working on a, a cool game, it's a it's an interesting idea and one that I'm kind of curious to check back on. Twin Cop. Oh, I did spot this. Tell us about this. Twin Cop. Very cool. I like co-op games that are uh, difficult to play and control. I like co-op when it's chaotic, uh, the kind of overcooked model. Um, this is a game. It's primarily kind of an overhead driving game uh, with a really clever premise where you are each playing half of a police car kind of split down the center and so to turn you have to work together to you know operate your um your thumbsticks in in opposite directions kind of like rowing a boat or playing um that star wars episode one racer or katamari but split between two people um it's uh it it seems like another kind of those wacky fun uh games that you're supposed to get frustrated over together and uh, work to overcome what should be a pretty, pretty normal job. Um, I would uh, kind of compare it to Roundabout, the game where you play as a spinning limousine um, and uh, trying to pick up customers that way, doing something normal, but in a way that makes it needlessly difficult, but in a fun way. Right. There's been a long history of games like that. Gang Beasts yes. becoming a most of recent uh, examples, but... Uh... Yeah, mm-hmm. or, or mount your friends. That's another one. Quop. Yep. That's another one. Go on, walk. Octodad Dadley's <laughs> Catch is one of my like all timers. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I'm I'm very much the target audience for this. <laughs> yeah. Frog Detective Two was being shown off. Uh, Frog Detective One is still pretty new, and so the booth was kind of like doing double duty to try to get people just interested in the Frog Detective series. It's uh. Again, you know, from a gameplay perspective, it's not really like doing anything new, but I just was really kind of won over by the the writing and it's just very like cute and very, um, very witty in a kind of adventure time kind of way. Uh, but you just play yeah, a detective game where you you are a frog and you're going around and meeting other people and solving mysteries and, and stuff like that. But it's just all like that kind of the style of humor that's like very casual very um misspellings and stuff like that you know that that style of humor but it was just very cute it's very inexpensive on steam so i'm uh i'm extremely tempted to uh pick one up and give it a shot okay let's move swiftly on because i will check out frog detective but when i see the word frog now it's now been corrupted by the by frog factions which are still <laughs> i took ages to recover from i don't think i ever did that's a, that's a brilliant game. It's I brilliant. Like that one. It is brilliant, especially when you open Hatch. Uh, next one, uh, another one I didn't get a chance to play, but I uh, I like that indies are doing this now. It took the longest time, and uh, it feels like the kind of game that would be like an open goal if somebody were to just like make the right version of it. But so far, like I don't see it attempted as often as I would expect to which is a Tony Hawk-like game. This one takes place on the water. I can't tell if they're riding jet skis or just like miniature versions of uh, motorboats, but it's, you know, all the same kind of like jumping and flipping and grinding and stuff that you would expect from a Tony Hawk game just kind of takes place on the water. So I don't really have a ton to say about it other than like where are all of the indie Tony Hawk-like games? (laughs) Yeah, what happened? 
because Tony Hawk and Neversoft, they've stopped. Uh, and uh, yeah. for, for for obvious reasons, or maybe not so obvious, I don't know, but it kind of it ate itself, didn't it, towards the end of its life. And um, yeah, it just makes you wonder. Someone's got to step in, surely. Surely, come on. Because that was a I've thing. Always wondered, it's uh, Tony Hawk, Katamari, and Crazy Taxi are the games where I like expect there to be a huge indie scene around all of them, but just like very no. little. No, it's just, yeah, no. <laughs> Look, we've got another puzzle platformer. Uh, next, I mentioned earlier, Cat Lady. It's a um, kind of like the Binding of Isaac. It's a uh, isometric third-person shooter, but it it looks like an old ZX Spectrum game. It looks like uh, kind of has that CGA style, but um, unlike Plunge, which we talked about earlier, which kind of maintains that uh, pixel art style, this one looks like an old CGA ZX Spectrum game that is uh, drawn with modern tools, so very kind of smooth lines and stuff. I really like the... Um, I really like the look. This one was submitted through um, six as well. Uh, didn't get in because it was uh, represented in the mega booth, and they want to kind of prioritize those that aren't going to get shown elsewhere. But it feels a little bit like I do get hit when I wasn't expecting it, and I wasn't getting hit when I feel like I should have been. So you know, it's not quite as like crisp as Binding of Isaac, but um, it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a nice game. Interested in seeing what all the weapons and modifiers and stuff do. You know, Downwell is a game that struck me as, you know, oh, look, it's like a Spectre game as I remember it. Because if you play Spectre mm-hmm. games now, like there's just a flickering mess most of the time. Not all the time, but most. <laughs> and that's where with this, with this um, I'm going to check it out. I mean, it's Cat Lady. It all, sounds like it's got all the humor. I did not see this. I'm a bit of, so many games. We should mention it is uh, not to be confused with another video game called The Cat Lady. It's no. a different game. So. Yeah, yeah. Just to be clear. That's unfortunate. Be, be careful with those searches, everyone. <laughs> another one that really caught my eye. This one comes from the Game Bakers, which were the uh, developers of Fury. It is a, uh, it's called Haven. It is a game built around kind of a relationship between two main characters that are have just like fantastic designs everything looks like it has that kind of gravity rush art style which i love but i don't really see that often in games or other media like it has a very distinctive style and i think it really works here but from what i can tell it seems to be kind of a split between like the visual novel of their relationship and a lot of conversations between them and a uh kind of a resource gathering game that looks like it plays a lot like flower or Jet Set Radio, you're kind of skating around these open environments and uh, following kind of like lines of um, plants or glowy materials or whatever to try to uh, gather resources. Um, you know, I'm not super informed about the the goals and the, the gameplay message, but um, it it is a really eye-catching game and uh, one that is uh, probably worth kind of keeping, keeping an eye on while it's uh, being developed. Yeah, made by Game Bakers. Um, lovely, lovely people. Had them on the Sausage Factory. Chat about Fury, a game that, I don't know, it spits the community a little bit and the Canarins. I quite like that game, despite me not being very good at it. And to see this follow-up, uh, it's a very different game, as you describe. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful sort of a representation of two people who cannot love each other for, uh, and they've run away so they can. It's lovely. It's a lovely story. And uh, hopefully it... Uh, it uh, pans out for them. Yeah, really nice art style. Mm. I also wanted to mention uh, the Playdate. Yes. Which is the miniature handheld system, that cute little yellow system that yeah. uh, Panic yeah. put out. Um, they had one game on display, 
And it was, uh, you know, obviously this is something that's been on the radar for the past few months and everyone's just kind of asking, you know, what is it? How, uh, how is it going to, to play? And it was just really nice to get a chance to get some hands on with it. Um, I know a couple of the folks over at panic and so it was really nice to catch up with them. They're super excited about this. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm very interested. The game that was on display was a game where you are using the crank on the, the system. It's weird. It has this kind of fishing line, like crank, uh, to progress or move backwards time that the time flow and you do that to um uh, to avoid certain obstacles it's a little frustrating and a little like uh, it's it's can be very precise in very uh frustrating ways every once in a while but overall it's a cute idea and um and definitely one that um you know it it definitely kept my attention during the demo and um yeah, I just thought it was very nice. Uh, the The system itself feels really good. The screen looks really nice. It's just kind of a two color screen, um, but it it looks really nice. The system is is super cute. I'd say if I had to complain about anything, I think the crank it feels good to crank, but the um, so it it has a little plastic bit at the end that rotates so that you can just kind of like keep cranking it because I don't know. I don't like the way that came out but anyway <laughs> it, so it spins um but i feel like that was the the plastic bit at the end was kind of catching on the crank and it felt like it was it was kind of preventing it from being like a very smooth feeling it might have just been the unit that i was playing on i don't know but um yeah it's just a very 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 minor quibble overall i'm still really loving the idea and um it's it's cool that like people are trying this kind of thing. I'm uh, I'm into it. I did see it. I kept on passing by. I'll get back to that. I'll get back. I didn't get back to it. Um, so I'm somewhat annoyed at myself. I had a missed opportunity. It happens at a lot of packs. You just say because especially when like, I've got so much time. Like, oh, fine. I'll I'll back. I never did, and I did see it there. And it's uh, and it was like intrigued by the cranking mechanism, and they had a big big version of it and showing it mm. off and had a strange man running around and odd let's just see what happens but yeah i was the, the bright yellow or is it mustard yellow i don't know it's mm-hmm. yeah interesting what well, very brave but brave in, in british term in, in terminology means yeah good luck with that it's not it's not what i mean at all uh i think it's it is genuinely an interesting thing to do uh, and to to make games for it to it's going to be a challenge for people, but you know, people will embrace all sorts of things. It's a, a very different model than a lot of uh, typical distribution channels. Um, it's it's again another kind of subscription thing where you just you pay for the system, you get the first year of games included uh, with the system. Um, they come out once per month, and so you know you get a new game every month. You just get a. They're all pretty simple games. It sounds like, but you know that for what it is like that sounds like a like a really pleasant um thing to just kind of have a standalone system that just does just does games you don't yeah, really get that much anymore it's going to be so many game jams on that game on that system <laughs> yeah it's just going to be all these ideas that people threw out in game jams or or you know when they're making other games and that's what it's going to be it's just going to be this this whole sort of burgeoning thing and you might find other games launched in a proper say proper more traditional games on traditional platforms being launched on the back of of games that appeared on the play date at least that's what i'm thinking but we'll see possibly 
Yeah, or at least uh, space to experiment with new genres. And Indeed, stuff like and that. then they go, so, "Well, got inspired by this," and then this grew from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm all about that. You know, it's kind of taking that playwright mentality and and like let's just make make a random game with very low risk and see yeah. see what it does. So, what's 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 worse could happen? I was talking to Cable because um one of the uh, the founders of the company uh, because I knew him from my time at Nintendo. Uh, we worked with uh, with them to um, to feature the Untitled Goose Game at last year's PAX and uh, at last year's Nindy Showcase. So, you know, I had I had worked with him a lot, and uh, we're you know we're we're very friendly with each other. So, uh, I was talking about just you know making this, and he said that he got a lot of feedbacks from people just being like very skeptical, being like, "Oh, how are you ever going to market a standalone handheld?" And he's saying basically like, it doesn't matter. We're not making this like a mass distribution thing. Like this is a limited run. It's always meant to be a very limited item. You know, we are budgeting to sell a very fixed number for, you know, people that choose to pre-order. Most of the pre-orders are already taken up. And so as far as they're concerned, as long as they sell that number, it is a success. And so, you know, it's, um, it's a low bar. They don't need to, they don't need to get this in targets all across America. You know, they, they are just selling it to people that are interested in it. And that is good enough for them, which is a, uh, a wonderful perspective in the, that you don't get all the time in the video game industry where everything has to be either all of the money or nothing. So I like it. I just wanted to briefly mention, I again, I don't have a ton to say about this. I played a Final Fantasy card game, uh, which my uh, the friend that I was with on um, on Friday, I believe it was, is a big, um, a big kind of Magic the Gathering card game fan. So he was eager to get in there and, and get a sit down demonstration. And so we played a game against each other and I have never touched Magic the Gathering. I don't know anything about card games. And so it was him that was kind of at an expert level and me at a beginner, like pre-beginner level, uh, really kind of like struggling with even the basic mechanics. And so, you know, this this poor guy at Square Enix that was trying to work with both of us and talk to both of us on our different levels, you know, it was, I did not enjoy it because I do not enjoy this type of thing, but um, for what it's worth, it's a Final Fantasy card game and it exists. Yeah, I have a friend of mine. I mean, I, I avoid CCGs for one reason, not because mm-hmm. I'm not very bad. Um, I, I, um, not that I had to play them, that's fine. It brings out a side of me that I do not like. Uh, <laughs> a very foul, competitive creature that um, gets angry at oneself when my carefully laid plans and carefully created deck mm, yeah. turns out to be complete garbage when faced <laughs> with something a little bit more potent than I've been concocting myself. And uh, ever since, you know, knowing that, I've avoided them like the plague. And also the fact that this is so wasteful. You, you, you spend money mm. on these cards, and within six months, they become utterly useless. I mean, they are just wood pulp. They have no use to you at all. And it just, you know, because there's the new set, the new season that comes out, and everyone dumps that, and they just then buy. It's just a, it's just a pyramid scheme. Uh, I've, I have no interest in them for that reason. Uh, many listeners may sort of throw things and yell at me for that, but honestly, I, I just can't, I can't buy into it, both figuratively yeah. and actually, and, and actually, <laughs> I can't, I can't buy into it. I just, I just see it for what it is, and it's not my thing. I mean, you, it seems you mentioned analog stuff. I'll mention that I did run. On Sunday evening, 
uh, Warhammer Fantasy role-playing game for from 6 to 10 p.m. It was fantastic. That, <laughs> that, my friends, I can get behind. Anyway, next, Fold Apart, sir. Yes, this is a game that uh, we both played. It is a um, puzzle platformer that takes place on a world of folding paper. And so oftentimes that means that um, each platform is kind of on a separate piece of paper, kind of like post-it notes that are posted across a wall. Uh, you play a character that is kind of jumping between all of them. Um, most of the papers can be flipped over for kind of alternate layouts of uh, of pathways on the other side. Sometimes they can be folded so that you can get like half and half of each layout. It kind of reminded me of Fez in that way, um, but it's uh, it's a pleasant little game. The demo level was... I would say extremely simple. And so it's really hard for me to judge at this point, like what it's going to play like in the, um, in the latter levels. I think they just didn't want to like overwhelm people that weren't used to this kind of thing. But as somebody who plays a lot of these types of games, I found it to be um, pretty simple, but uh, I'm, I'm sure it definitely ramps up later on. Um, but I thought like more than anything, it had a really nice um, presentation. I think the art style is, is very colorful, very, uh, very appealing. The characters in particular reminded me a lot of um, uh, a lot of the characters in uh, Inside Out, that Pixar movie. Uh, you know, everyone is kind of like monochromatic or has a very strong color theme in a way between um, blue characters and red characters. And it's kind of about a long distance relationship between two characters. But um, at the beginning, you get to choose you know, which of the four characters are you going to play as and which of the four characters is going to be your partner. And it's very nice. It's a very kind of like non-judgmental way of, you know, allowing for same-sex relationships or, you know, even the characters are kind of drawn in a somewhat ambiguous way. I think the uh, red male in particular could pass off as a male or female. So like basically however you want to read it, like it just does a good job of kind of like not, not planting the ideas of either like your character is straight or your character is gay or your character is um is even a you know explicitly male or female like it's just kind of a nice like a very non-judgmental and very non-intrusive way to let everybody play in the way that uh that most appeals to them yes all of those things i love the folding i love the interaction i uh, love the fact the main character is an architect for reasons that People know my day job would know why that was awesome. Um, it's nice to know that, you know, I'm not an architect myself. I work with them a lot. And uh, to, so to have that was, was lovely. And, uh, you know, he, we've sent away to work in a building. I've had the same thing happen to me. And uh, it's just the way things are. It's a lovely, lovely sort of inter- it's just And it was definitely a case when I played the demo, I definitely looked over to the developer and said, I'm not crying, you are. It's just... <laughs> Because it was beautiful, and I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, um, okay. Last couple. We'll wrap up, wrap this thing up. Right. So another one that caught my eye that I did not get a chance to play, but I'm very interested in, is called Backbone. It is a neo noir detective game, um, but it has a very, very, very strong pixel art style, but in more of a kind of 32 bit way, less than a not like a very simple minimalist pixel art. Like it is. It is fiercely detailed and it's some of the most beautiful pixel art I've ever seen. Like the city that it creates, which this kind of future, um, more kind of a near future than a distant future, but a kind of near future noir, very dark, gritty kind of urban environment. Um, 
but uh yeah extremely beautiful uh it stars kind of anthropomorphic animal human characters so it's not like um not in the way that you usually see animals adapted to uh anthropomorphic proportions like it very much keeps like the main character's a raccoon and his head just looks like a raccoon head on a person body which is strange and i don't i don't love that but it's uh like the rest of the game is just so beautiful that like even though it kind of like i don't know it kind of triggers the furry alarm a little bit like the um I, i think just in general like the presentation is so grand that like i can definitely see myself kind of getting into this i did see this sadly i did not get to play it looks very promising yes thanks for raising my uh attention bring bring it to my attention and to the audience as well so yeah thanks thanks for the, it's a it beautiful looks, game if you have to watch any trailer like check yeah. this one out it's uh it's really stunning last game i wanted to mention is a uh, game that is currently available it just came out this last year called uh elsinore uh, or uh elsinore yeah that's that's it it's a game that was in in uh, the seattle indies expo either last year or two years, two years ago um that kind of caught my attention back then but it is a time looping game um that is set within the fiction of hamlet uh so you kind of play a side character as the events of hamlet are taking place and it's all about uh it's kind of like um sexy brutal in a way where where you are and what you hear and overhear and experience and who you talk to all kind of like build a picture that um, kind of like build on top of each other. And, um, you know, I, I just love, it's kind of a strategy conversation type of game where you're learning things about the world around you and you're using that information in conversations with people. It's just, it's, it's very interesting. Um, again, one that I only kind of briefly demoed a, a year or two ago, but it's um, again, like, such an original idea that it's worth checking out just it'll teach you something (laughs) i think i've heard the name before definitely heard the name before so i'm gonna have to sort of dig into my archives and see what i've actually encountered it before but yeah yeah thanks for right yeah i'll definitely look i did not see it on the show floor so Mm -hmm. heaven knows where it was (laughs) um but uh yeah well you know Thanks for, for your list and remind me. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to Ryan and myself uh, chat about uh, the games. So, um, for me, the highlight was actually thinking back on it personally. The the one that I keep on harking back to is Hades. So beautifully put together. It's not even finished yet, but it's out in early access. If you go to Epic Store on the PC, you can have a go now. But um, yeah, it's really, really sort of, that's the one that sort of, piqued my interest the most what about you ryan is anything sort of like raised above the parapet or you'd pretty much even stevens throughout everything you saw the um i think the play date was kind of the most memorable experience that i had you know again like the game is so simple that like i'm not gonna say how it compares against games that are you know more complex but it definitely was the most memorable experience and i just love that people are trying something different well we'll end it there i've got to dash off now and stream (laughs) because <laughs> we're streaming in two minutes as we record this show so oh, uh there you go. yeah there you go but uh no we just finished off this right and thanks everyone for listening i hope you got an inkling an inkling what it's like to go to pax now like i said ron and i we have uh, reasons why we go i mean ron is very close i'm just insane um but um i just i just um 
I just love going to to it because I think it's very much a, an event for for the people who play games. You can hear in our voices that we experience a lot of wonderful games there, and uh, it's just a, a, a tiny tiny fraction of what actually was there. So um, it's I mean personally I broke my personal record like forty. Six forty-seven games, I think I played, uh, which is like ridiculous. Um, but uh, and you know we've only listened to a small proportion of them here. It's not a boast; it's just a fact. That's how many games that were there. So um, well, not the way of ones I played. So but again, thank you very much for listening, and thank you, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for taking some time to chat. Sorry I couldn't be there during the actual show floor time. But... That's right. Everyone gets the packs box at least once. <laughs> yep. yep. All right. Cheers. <laughs>